Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I could talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid, just walk with your Like a lesson learned Walking out from the cave Now in the light Respectful of All these words I Welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica, and I'm your host. Today is March 6, 2012. Today we are going to talk about the 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. But first, I want to read you some breaking news. So this is out of the Kansas City Star. Um, that was Saturday, March 3rd. Young people turn to AA to break the grip of alcohol and drugs by Eric Adler. Um, he talks about a tall and lithe 23-year-old Suzanne, once known to her University of Kansas sorority sisters as Boozin Susan, carries a load of folding chairs into a 6th Street mini mall storefront and arranges them in a circle. Ten young people amble in and over the next hour tell why they are here. Hi, I'm Claire. I'm an alcoholic, age 23. Hi, I'm Matt. I'm an alcoholic, age 25. And I'm Jean, and I'm an alcoholic, age 17. She first got drunk on vodka when she was eight. Hmm. Wow, I wonder where her parents were. Um, there is Stephanie, 20, and the two seats away, a 19-year-old addict fresh to sobriety. There are Mike and Will, both under 26. So this is a long, big story, and there were a couple of people on the blogs that were pretty um, upset about it because it appeared to be promoting Alcoholics Anonymous to young people when what we're seeing and one of the biggest things we're trying to create is safety for minors, which none exists in Alcoholics Anonymous. There is no separate, if you're a parent listening to the show, there is no special minors division. There is no policies and procedure uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous of any kind, and which leads me to today's show. Uh, you can contact Eric Adler um, and tell him your story. If you have a nightmare bad story of being sexually preyed on in any way, I really encourage you. No crazy stories here. Nothing. I, I mean, I would stay away from, you know, our belief system and all that. But if you have a story of predatory behavior, sexual or financial, I would pick up the phone, forget the email. I called him. I spoke to him for a good long time, and I'm going to send him some links. So again, this is the story. Just you can find it on um, Stop Thirteen Stepping. I think it's um, 
on NADetona.org. Google Kansas City Star, Young People Turn to AA to Break the Grip of Alcohol and Drugs. And Eric Adler is the reporter, and I spoke to him about the unbelievable stuff going on. And, you know, they um, he was he was receptive to me. And uh, so I think that if he were to get genuine calls from other people, uh, that we could really see uh, maybe somebody... I, I said to him, you know, okay, so I'm telling you that it's not safe. Um, would you be willing to write a story about other options like Smart Recovery, Women for Sobriety, SOS, this kind of thing? And, um, you know, so he was open to talk to me further. Um, I wound up going to the Pacific Regional AA Service Assembly, which is held in, it was held in Seattle, Washington. I went for a day and a night because I heard that they were doing a predator, um, predators in AA, they were doing a panel. And that morning, I got an email from one of the girls that was going to be on the panel, a really sweet uh, young woman who had been 13-stepped in um, Oklahoma City, I mean Oklahoma, uh, the guy had 10 years. He was quite her senior. She was in a homeless shelter and then, you know, sent to an outpatient, and the outpatient allowed her to walk to a meeting down the street where this guy is doing his thing with 13-stepping. So it was really touching to hear her story, and I got to meet her. Um, but the same that same morning, I opened up my Gmail, which if you want to reach me, you can reach me at makeaasafer at gmail.com. And here she writes, Hi, I am a secretary at one of the AA meetings in Wicklow, Ireland, but attend many other meetings in the country. For the past few months, I have been subjected to nasty remarks from a member 10 years in the fellowship, then unwanted physical advance, and last week unwarranted sexual comments and innuendo in front of another male AA member. Excuse me. The perpetrator is male. I found out now that he has a reputation in Dublin and other meetings, mainly hitting on new female members. I am writing to him to stop where I am concerned and then will have to seek legal advice if he does not. I think it would be great to have the safety statement to read out at meetings as he is not the only one to behave like this. I would love to know if anyone in the fellowship that you know of has successfully taken the legal police route. I look forward to hearing back. Thank you. And then she leaves her name. So for anyone who hears this, if you have had experience and you have fought it and gone to the police and filed a report, what I do want to say is no matter what the police say, you you do need a name. (laughs) You need the name of the person, the first and the last name. And um, you can just say, I I want to file a complaint or an incident. I'm sorry. It's called an incident report. And don't let them tell you that you can't. I mean, this is in the United States. So... Here we go. Um, The 12 traditions were written, I thought they were written in the 50s. It says right here that they were written in 1945 when Alcoholics Anonymous was very, very small. And, um, you know, I was kind of looking them over. I was once a total AA geek and went to uh, AA, uh, you know, I went to book studies. And back in those days, there were lots of, those were the better meetings, it seemed like. There were you know, people that were pretty genuine and wanted to stay sober and not screw around. So um, they were there. And um, I want to just give credit to where credit is due, is that Tom Powers co-wrote this book. And if you notice, there's a huge difference between the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the way it was written, and the 12 by 12. The reason is, is that Tom Powers, who was a writer uh, and could write, wrote this with Bill. Now, when he was five years sober, he walked away from... Alcoholics Anonymous with Bill, and he did not get a dime and does not, and none of his you know, family, his heirs, got any money. Bill kept it all to himself. Um, that uh, he, cre- he created a program called All Addicts Anonymous, All Addicts Anonymous, because he felt that there shouldn't be a separation between addicts and alcoholics. They were the same. And he also felt that there was a huge problem with sex addiction um, even back, you know, back then, realizing that when people got sober, including Bill and himself, were acting out really badly, and that he felt it was uh, the reason that he broke his friendship completely with Bill Wilson. And one of my friends who's uh, in the in NA uh, went out and met him. I guess Tom Powers before he died. 
So let's start in, and I would, um, I'm going to just start in. If you want to call in and chime in, if there's a particular tradition that you feel like is absolutely not true anymore or being completely broken, um, then go ahead and call in. I'm going to start in. The, the call-in number is 818-475-9211. Uh, 818-475-9211. I'm going to begin, though, with our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. Now, when I first began the the safety issue with sexual predators, I thought, you know what? Oh, my God, it's like right in the first tradition. They're all going to get on board and say, look, you're breaking the traditions. If our common welfare comes first, how can you not address sexual predation, 13-stepping, financial um, you know, scamming and the rest. And, you know, here's on the first page, what what I found as I was rereading this to do this show is that there are things that are taken out of context now. So very, I think a lot of people don't even do the 12 the traditions and read them and study them and have book studies so that they, they, oh, hi, everybody. There's a lot of people in the chat room. Hi, welcome. It's so nice to see you all here. Um, and so, in fact, the, the PRASA up in, in Seattle, if you don't know what it is, it's, you know, the region has this assembly once a year and uh, nine states, it, it includes 15 regions in the Pacific West, includes Hawaii, Washington, Oregon, Arizona, all these states, and they discuss uh, things, but what was different about this one is there was a panel, and it was in the ballroom uh, at eight o'clock in the morning on Saturday, and it was called predatory behavior. And I was really blown away that um, all of these people, uh, well, especially because the chair is so behind um, making some change, that um, you know she created this panel. And there were two women that were absolutely fantastic that talked about it. The second woman could have been any one of us on the blog. The way that she handled, even the way sponsors. You know, she said held people captive instead of being giving them loving concern and, you know, not holding them hostage, uh, which made me laugh. Um, I, um, I was able to stand up at the mic and uh, speak my mind about what happened and um, my experience and what had happened to me and what happened to Callie and what brought me to uh, make these pamphlets and I brought about 250 with me, and when I sat down, I was completely swamped and handed out all of the pamphlets. And uh, so it, it was a big improvement from last year in Hawaii where there was nothing on it, and the year before, which was in L.A., um, it, there was a really great late-night roundtable where only 130 people could fit in the room, but there was a lot of um, you know cold looks, whereas this particular one, people were just really receptive and really happy to... Uh, see me there with pamphlets. Uh, I would say that 90, 98% of the people who went to the mic sounded like a lot of us on the blogs who were actually really upset. Were the gentleman was from Hawaii, talked about the Christine Cass story and how he changed how he works with people in the program after she was killed by a guy who was sentenced by um, the courts and the mental health. So here's the thing that gets twisted all the time. No AA can compel another to do anything. This is on page 133 in Tradition 1. Nobody can be punished or expelled. Our 12 steps to recover are suggestions, the 12 traditions which guarantee AA's unity contain not a single don't. They repeatedly say we ought to, but never you must. Well, that's not true because actually in the book, it's, it was like an assignment, you know, years ago. We said how many musts were there. You know, you can go look in the 12 by 12, and it's just full of you must do this or you'll die, or you must, like Bill Wilson loved to say, you must do this or you're just going to die. Um, no AA can, so, you know, what it, the thing that I find interesting about when you talk to uh, anybody, and actually young, a lot of young people, is they say things like it's the law. And we all know, everybody who's in the chat room now and anybody who's sane knows that an AA tradition is what? What is it? It's not the law. It is it is it their policy? It's not AA's policy. Is it their practices? Well, it would be practice. It would be something that people would be practicing doing, which is not the case either, which is something that I want to address. Because in the traditions, as I was reading them in the back of this little twelve and twelve book, there there are some really there are some great ideas, but are the ideas being followed? And that is what I want to talk about. 
is what is a lie and what is a truth or something that it was a good idea that's not being followed and how do we you know get it everywhere that the law in the United States which says that sexual harassment is that and and assault is that and rape is that but mostly rape you know is not going to happen in a meeting but it's going to happen in um it could happen outside a meeting and in fact um there's a lawyer Andrew Ackley who has a blog out of Seattle who um the story broke uh anti denial I think broke it on uh NA Daytona website that um where a woman it's not funny I'm sorry but that a woman was stabbed in an anger management class and there was something about the story that reminded us of the insanity going on in AA so she called me and I called him and he has this blog and if you go there his front page is really great uh, maybe I'll put a link up about how in group therapy and he he does he never mentions 12 step or group uh, or AA but we all know what he's talking about is a good point that you know just because um it doesn't happen in a meeting um it means if I met you in a meeting and you're 10 years sober and I have 3 days and I was just homeless and now you've asked to take me for a burger and coke and give me a ride and I have nothing and then I'm living with you the next day we all know that that is um taking advantage of um people that are very very vulnerable so here we are at this this line that says no AA can compel enough. of course you can if it's against the law so if you're breaking the law then you call the police you could tell the secretary you could hold a meeting you could hold a you know um you could definitely call the police um it says here those who look closely soon have the key to the strange paradox the AA member has to conform to the principles of recovery his life actually depends upon obedience to spiritual principles so you know, if we have a guy who is leaning in forward, which is this what was documented happened in meetings in West Covina, that as when a young woman raised her hand and said, "Hi, I'm you know Sarah and I, or or Bob, you know I'm Janie and I'm an alcoholic," that this creep was leaning forward and saying, "Hey man, there's one for you. Go get him. There's there's a new one." You know that there, there's no part of any spirituality of somebody praying sexually on a new person at all. Um, this other that goes down here, the moment this 12-step work forms a group, another discovery is made that most individuals cannot recover unless there is a group. Okay, so now we know, and I know that's not true either, that everybody doesn't need a group. Amy Lee Coy, who wrote, you know, from Death Do I Part, in fact, after 20 years of in-and-out groups, wrote a book, and by self-care and self-love, she stopped her and unbelievably hard drinking she was doing so that she did not that whole idea that you need a group to recover is not true it's a lie so let's call that lie number two rationalization dawns that he is but a small part of a great whole let's keep you all really small why don't we that no person no personal sacrifice is too great for for preservation of the fellowship um, he learns that the clamor of desires and ambitions within him must be silenced whenever these could damage the group. Um, it becomes plain that the group must survive or the individual will not. Well, what, what, kind of, what kind of thinking is this? That It sounds really, you know, I don't use the, the C word, the cult word, but um, that you can only be a small part of a great whole. You know, when I took the Tony Robbins thing, you know, you're standing there with like 4,000 people and you're like, I am a leader and I have a voice and I have, and there's this empowerment, empowerment, empowerment thing going on. And when I, sit, when I see when I'm reading this and going over it again, you know, it is not about empowerment. It's that you don't matter. You Let's keep you small. Let's, you know... Um, it's uh so this this whole little thing um that uh that your desires and your ambitions must be silenced whenever these could damage the group um it's i i don't know that was kind of a little strange one so i'm going to go on to um tradition number two which is two <laughs> for a group purpose there is but one ultimate authority a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern for our group. So, And I thought, you know, when I was trying to do the safety stuff, I thought, well, here's another one. 
you know, oh, my God, you know, they're all going to agree with me here. You know, it says for our group purpose, there is only one authority. It doesn't say the biker out there who's going to, like, you know, rape you when you walk home from the meeting or you're going to shoot you in the head like somebody did outside of a Baldwin Park meeting. It says a loving God. So that's not a punitive God. That's not, you know, a belittling God. Um, you know, hey there, this is, you have Nico and you have Sally and you have a bunch of people out there. It is so nice. Um, hey, hey, Emily, how you doing? Um, welcome to the show. Uh, so we're talking about this one. That that means that people would be respectful and um, they wouldn't, um, you know, be preying on each other like the Ponzi scheme with a guy who was in Pennsylvania who you know, took 23 AA members for $7 million, and the hearing already happened, and he's going to jail for eight years. So it says, next it says, where does AA get its direction? Who runs it? This, too, is a puzzler for every friend and newcomer when told that our society has no president having authority to govern it, no treasurer who can compel the payment of any dues, and no board of directors bleep, Beep. Okay, here we go. Okay, now I'm on my third lie in this little paragraph. Third lie, page 136. When told that our society has no president, wrong. President right now is Phyllis Halliday. You can look it up on, um, go to stinkinthinking.com, go to the never-ending thread, hold your cursor over that, and drop down, you will see Follow the Money. And follow those stories, and you can find easy links to see the tax return for Alcoholics Anonymous, General Service Board, General Service Inc., uh, there's, you know, different versions of it. And you can see that there is a president. There has to be. This is a nonprofit organization in the United States of America where they are getting, you know, they don't have to pay any taxes. So there is a president. And there is a treasurer. Um, they have a financial person. And let's get to one of the most important things. This is like the news that I'm going to keep talking about this until the, everybody knows about it. It's the board of directors. So the board of directors in Alcoholics Anonymous, they are non-paying, as, uh, as my understanding as all board members are. I could be wrong about that, but I know that uh, most that I know, their board members are not paid. And they have a fiduciary responsibility. That word, oh, love that word. But anyway, what it means is that Board members have a responsibility if you know that if there is illegal activity, if um, the pension is being robbed, you know, uh, like what happened with SAG, um, that you have a responsibility to go to your members and tell them, oh, by the way, we know that the courts are sending third-level sex offenders and violent criminals to Alcoholics Anonymous. We know that because we have judges and we have parole officers on our board, but we're not going to tell the fellowship. And you know what, guys? We're not going to tell um, the, uh, the general public so that Aunt Sally or you know, maybe little Johnny or your son or whoever might end up at an AA meeting because they're you know, drinking you know, off the hook in college right now and they're being called an alcoholic right away. This kind of thing is so, you know, it's, um, it's not good. Uh, wait, let's see, go by earring. Let's start here. So no board members who can cast an erring member into outer darkness when indeed no AA can give another directive and enforce obedience. Our friends gasp and explain, this simply can't be. There must be some angle somewhere. These practical folk then read Tradition 2 and learn that the sole authority in AA is a loving God as he may express himself in the group conscience. So, like, how is this scenario going to go when this goes to court someday? You know what I mean? Like, you're going to, you know, are we going to see some AA employee sitting there and saying, well, you know, uh, guys, the, we have a loving God that he may exp- what, what was he, was, where's the Ouija board? Wait, where, uh, I can't find it. I don't have a Ouija board in my house. But, you know, was he playing with the Ouija board? Like, a little bit too much? I don't know. I mean, I think that, um, let's see, uh, somebody wrote here, leaving AA feels safer for me now. Yay! I mean, I think that, uh, you know what Tom Horvath said, that I needed to create, or I guess people could do it all over the country, they would be support groups for the fallout of meetings because he finds that people come to SMART and they're so angry that they really need to vent 
um, really need to vent about um, what happened if they've been really harmed, you know? So, okay, here we go. Back there that um, you can't give another directive. Of course you can. You know, if somebody commits a crime, if somebody is constantly hitting on young women or you have a cougar woman that's hitting on men, people can say, you know what, that's that's not cool. That's like That would be like, you know, a therapist hitting on their clients. So um, I'm getting stuck here on this first, just on the first page of Tradition 2. Um, they uh, dubiously ask an experienced AA member if this really works. The member saying to all experiences immediately answers, yes, it definitely does. Um, the friends mutter that it looks vague and nebulous and pretty naive to them, and then they commence to watch us with um, speculative eyes and pick up a fragment of AA history and soon have the solid facts. Um, and then they go on to tell the facts, and I don't think we need to go into that because really basically the first part is what I wanted to get into. Now, here's another, we're going to go to the third page in Tradition 2, and it says, um, let's see, the committee gives no spiritual advice, judges no one's conduct, and issues no orders. Every one of them may be promptly eliminated at the next election if they try this. And so they make the belated discovery that they are really servants, not senators. They are universal experiences. Thus, throughout AA, does the group conscience decree that terms upon which its leaders shall serve. Well, that would mean, though, okay, that would mean, guys, that you would actually have all the groups all over the country, um, whatever thousands of meetings are in Los Angeles and Phoenix and any big city, that all of the meetings are going to have a sane group conscience. That means you have a business meeting where somebody is running it, right? Okay, so that's not happening. And in fact, when I called um, Pam, what was her name? The, the woman who is at Pam Rising is the head of the subcommittee on member safety that was created because the board went to the employees of Alcoholics Anonymous and said, you know, we got a serious problem. Remember that Paul Cleary letter that we all read on the Internet? So Paul wrote that, and he read it to the board, and they go, oh, man, we got a problem. This is 2008, 2009. Yeah, I think it was, because they made him wait a year to read the letter. So then they go to the employees, and they say, you know, you need to go to the fellowship and find out what's going on here. And they came back, and they go, that's not our job. And they go, oh, shit, what do we do now? So what they did then is they formed a subcommittee, which went on, as far as I can see, they did absolutely nothing. So... um. They, so what am I back to? Judges, oh yeah, about about behaviors. So they blah, 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 universal experiences, the group conscience. So, oh yeah, back to the, I, now I know what I was going to say, was the part about the group conscience decrees what the leader shall do. So if does that mean, um, so, oh yeah, so I'm, I call her up after another like really horrible incident happens, and I say, well, you know, I, what about the DUIs and the, sen- the sentencing of like, you know, third-level sex offenders, you know, to meetings, and she said, well, oh, no, I think it was about the DUIs that we first had this conversation, that the fellowship does not like the fact that people who don't want to be there are coming. And she said, oh, no, no, we put that out to the fellowship, and, you know, they said they really didn't respond. And I said, because they don't have freaking meetings. They don't have business meetings. I mean, if if you're going to use an example of Los Angeles, if Los Angeles has 6,000 meetings a week or 4,000 meetings a week, and there was maybe 70 GSRs once a month, 70 out of 4,000, and out of those 70s, maybe half of those actually had a real business meeting. That means the group conscience was never taken, that, that the, the sense of the people in the meetings was never heard. And it would be so easy to do. You could have a button, like we do on orange papers, you could have a button and you could put in your two cents, and you could say, absolutely not, that no DUIs, you cannot send somebody here and you cannot send third-level sex offenders and violent criminals to meetings like their sessions or something. And I'm telling you, if people just start getting on the phone, I have some ideas for some activism. But this is a huge, huge problem. And then it says here, this brings us straight to the question, does AA have a real leadership most emphatically, the answer is yes, notwithstanding the apparent lack of it. Let's turn again to the disposed founder and his friends. And, you know, then he goes off to tell, you know, so what I'm saying is um, there is definitely um, leadership. There are 12 paid employees in Alcoholics Anonymous. 
and there are excuse me um let me see the tradition there are anyway there's 12 paid employees so um i have certainly been ranting here um for pretty long <laughs> because i'm holding on tradition 3 <laughs> but um Let's go to this one. This is, leads me right to the DUIs and the sentencing of the violent criminals and third-level sex offenders. And if you want to get the attention of news and reporters and anyone else, this is where you want to go. You want to talk about minors and you want to talk about the sentencing. Tradition three, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Okay, I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. The only people who come are people who want to come, you know. And then they had, like, the EAP programs, employment assistant programs. They were like, well, now we can force you to, like, you know, you're going to lose your job unless you go to AA. And that started to happen in the late, mid-'70s. I mean, probably 78, 79, I think, that started to happen. I know somebody who created the first EAP program with Pan American Airlines. So, um, hey there, Kevin. Who do I know here? We have Evelyn. Hi, Evelyn. And I know Kevin and Sally and Nico. Hi, hi, hi. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Blog Talk Radio. Um, So this tradition is packed with meaning, okay? Um, And it goes on to say a bunch of things. And, um, you know, it says to establish this principle of membership took years of harrowing experience. In our early time, nothing seemed so fragile, so easily breakable as an AA group. Hardly an alcoholic we approached paid any attention. Most of those who did join us were like flickering candles in a windstorm. Time after time, their uncertain flames blew out and wouldn't be relighted. Our unspoken constant thought was, which of us may be next? So it was very small. Okay, and they people didn't stay, and they had to, you know, think. Well, maybe we need to let, you know, these creepo hippos like gonna join us. Okay, so let's go to where they are. So this is the part that is kind of funny. It says um, we were resolved to admit nobody to AA, but that hypothetically class of people we termed pure alcoholics. No, wait, that didn't make any sense. We were resolved to admit nobody to AA, but that hypothetical class of people who we termed pure alcoholics except for their guzzling and the unfortunate results thereof, there could have been no other complications. So, beggars, tramps, asylum inmates, prisoners, queers, plain crackpots, and fallen women were definitely out. Yes, sir, we cater only to pure and respectable alcoholics. So, this is the point that I made in my, in my plea to New York General Service Office that these traditions were designed when it was still very, you know, it was not inclusive. People of color, women were treated like crap. I was told that if you read the Marty Man book, <laughs> hey there, Kev, <laughs> I love you too, um, that these people were, you know, pretty much uh, looked upon like we didn't want you unless you have your, you know, that your your little suit jacket on and your little walk that they have that little look like uh, Newt Gainridge look or whatever. Um, it says, maybe this sounds comical now, but maybe you think we old-timers were pretty intolerant. Hmm. <laughs> but I can tell you there was nothing funny about the situation then. We were grim because we felt our lives and homes were threatened, and that was no laughing matter. Intolerant, you say. Well, we were frightened. Naturally, we began to act like most everybody does when they're afraid. Wow, these guys were babies, man. They were such babies. <laughs> <laughs> These are like grown men in their 40s. I think by now, right, they must be in their 50s or 60s. And they're like, oh, like, we're so afraid. We're so intolerant. And, oh, my God, you're gay and you're, you know, you've done time or you're a little crazy or you're a woman or you're a prostitute. You know, I mean, come on. And they're actually like they're defending themselves here that they were so intolerant and they were so fearful. But when they decided to open up the gates and let everybody come and then invite third-level sex offenders and violent criminals, which happened in the last 10 years, they didn't change anything. They didn't set up any safety policies and procedures. But, you know, we still have them. They're still existing. This is a nonprofit corporation that is, can be held accountable at every level, at a meeting, you know, um, that person in civil court – uh, at the area level, you know, at the um, district level, uh, at, at any level, in especially New York uh, board members knowing that there's such predatory behavior going on. 
So I'm going to move on. Um, it says they're intolerant, and uh, how could we then guess that all our fears were to be groundless? Okay. Why did AA finally drop all its membership regulations? Why did we leave it to each newcomer to decide himself whether he was alcoholic and whether he should join us? Okay. Mm, I, I need to get like a buzzer. Not true. Okay. Or maybe like a bell, you know, like at those, <laughs> I just thought of a bell, like a teacher has a bell. <laughs> like not true at all. Okay. So if you go to a meeting today, in, I don't know what it's like in other parts of the country, but you know maybe some of the chatters or you know somebody want to call in at this point eight one eight four seven five ninety two eleven if you have a question or a comment or your own experience that you'd like to share. If somebody's new, I've seen this happen and come in and they're like really shy and it's like their first time in their meeting and they're like horrified they don't want to call themselves an alcoholic and they're like, hi I'm I'm Jane and what are you? Oh you know and the person like jumps you know and they're like I'm uh, I'm Jane you know and. And they're like, you know, you're like, you got to see, oh, you got to say it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to say it right now. Like, say you're an alcoholic or, you know, that's like, you know, you're not one of us. There is that pressure that I did not see um, when I first went to AA. We're going to leave it to each newcomer to decide. Okay. Um, why did we dare say, contrary to the experience of society and government everywhere, that we would neither punish nor deprive any AA of membership, um, that we must never compel anyone to pay anything, believe anything, or conform to anything. Wow. All right, so maybe the first part is true, pay anything, um, but to believe anything or conform to anything? Oh, come on. So personally, like when I started doubting that I was an alcoholic and that I belonged in AA when I was like 18 months sober, they were like, oh, well, didn't you do this? And, well, didn't you do that? And, oh, that really means you're an alcoholic. Oh, you had a blackout. Oh, that's like, you know, that's way later stages of alcoholism. Oh, my God, your life is over. You know, it's like doom and gloom, you know, jail institution and death. And it's like, give me a break. Those first guys, they had such low bottoms and they were such grown-ups. They were grown men who had been drinking for years. And to, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, uh, I don't know. So there's a lot of not true in that one for me. And um, I think that it says here, um, blah, 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 blah. As group after group saw these possibilities, they finally abandoned all membership regulations. Oh, so there was a time where you had all these kind of regulations that you had to um, be interested to see what they were. One dramatic experience after another clinched this determination until it became our universal tradition. Here are two examples, and I think we're just going to go on to the next one. So the next one is each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Um, and, you know, it just basically, this one says that sobriety should be the sole objective and I didn't find much that I wanted to talk about in that particular one. But um, let's see. Um, tradition five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Um, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, can be likened to a group of physicians who might find a cure for cancer. And upon those concerted work would depend the answer for sufferers of this disease. Okay, so right at this point, I'm going to switch to a book that is written by When AA Doesn't Work for You, Rational Steps to Quitting Alcohol by Albert Ellis and Emmett Velton. So there are things, if, if in fact, um, we all know people that have a problem with overuse of alcohol. I don't mean, I want to use the word addiction lately. You know, like I'm so like, you know, fed up with it all, alcoholism and addiction and the word, the disease theory. But on page 41, he writes, if a disease caused your poor behavior in the past, why would a disease decide to stop doing so now? Well, because knowing that I have a disease, I can take responsibility for my own behavior from here on out. Or I first have to admit I'm powerless over my disease, and that gives me the power to take responsibility and control it now. These arguments seem illogical to many people. 
what kind of disease could make you drink until you find out you have it? <laughs> and then, if only you accept your powerlessness and higher power will let you take the responsibility and control. What disease knows that you have now made a pact with the higher power and that it had damned well better surrender its power <laughs> to make you powerless and submit to you and the higher power? <laughs> Sorry, but... <laughs> oh, the answer is that it is a special disease made up for the occasion and useful in reducing self-blame. In 1935, when A adopted the idea, it was distinctly better than the idea that heavy drinkers were morally defective. In this book, however, we will describe a much more honest and useful method to ward off self-damning. It does not lead to the unintended abuses of the disease theory that shock us these days, seeing mayors, college presidents, and Watergate conspirators get caught doing crimes and discovering that little or nothing happens to them when they get caught. Why not? Because their disease makes them do drugs and drink and act illegally. Dangerous, violent criminals who get caught and have the right lawyers have jumped on the disease bandwagon with, I had a bad childhood, I was abused. Well, maybe so, but what of the, about the millions of people of similar backgrounds who behave responsibly. This attitude, it's not my fault or my responsibility, often causes more misbehavior. It damages the fabric of our society because it helps people avoid answering for their poor behavior. If the devil made me do it, as comedian Flip Wilson was fond of claiming, then you are not to blame and you are not responsible, but you're stuck because you don't learn to behave more responsibly. That's awesome. And I want to thank... Actually, it was Gunther who turned me on to um, Albert Ellis's information and book and all that. So I want to thank everybody. We still have about 17 minutes into the show. Um, um, Sally writes here on the on the chat room. I've decided that if I'm going to take the blame for drinking, then I'm going to take the credit for stopping. I can't. See, yeah, I think that's great. I think there's a lot of empowerment. Um, with that and with, uh, you know, I, I do think that I'm I'm sort of inspired because uh, I did go, I've, I've learned a few things over the past month and that part of it is the activism and having gone to Prasa to see how upset um, many members who are internally there are about what's going on. But this this other aspect, oh, and, and I ran into... Um, I had dinner with somebody that I used to sponsor and had to explain to her how I, um, you know, how I had left and why, and it was pretty interesting. So, Tradition 6. An AA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, least problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. So, story number one would be about Al-Anon. And Al-Anon had a story where they took the money and somebody bought a house <laughs> on the East Coast um, with money from Al-Anon. And um, a good note of what, something that Al-Anon and Alateen did was that they made um, that you, if you were involved in an Alateen group, you have to get a background check and you could you can go online and you can go to, I think, nadtona.org and you can see um, that whole link with, um, you know, AA could just do that, with especially with minors. The moment we saw that we had an answer for alcoholism was reasonable or so for us to feel that we might have the answer to a lot of other things. Um, and, you know, this part here is, uh, I mean, it, it's just, it's not true. Um, if you go online and you look for a treatment center or a rehab, it says, you know, the 12-step, you know, uh, belief system, the 12-step approach, you know, this is the way, you know, like it's the gold standard, which is what th that name was given to it uh, a long time ago. Um, let's see. You know, it goes on to tell the old stories of what happened then, but I'd really like to address how it's affecting it now. Um, most certainly, um, AA people, um, if you work at the Betty Ford Center, I know somebody who had somebody, you know, who's 
somebody went there. <laughs> somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> went to the Betty Ford Center that charges $26,000 a month, which, by the way, they're making commercials now for young people because I guess the people who are adults who have been in and out and in and out and realize it doesn't work are not coming back to spend their $26,000 a month. So I would like to promote um, Practical Recovery, which is a lovely place that Tom Horvath has, um, and he is the president of Smart Recovery, and it is a non-12-step, beautiful, beautiful um if you feel like you need to go somewhere and they design programs, you know, if you want to go for a week or, you know, anyway, it's it's very inclusive and um, they don't make you call yourself an alcoholic either. Um, so they dreamed about, you know, hospitals and doing all this stuff, but what I underlined was it occurred to us that we could take what we had into the factories and cause laborers and capitalists to love each other. Our uncompromising honesty might soon clean up politics with one arm around the shoulder of religion and the other around the shoulder of medicine. We'd resolve their differences. Having learned to live so happily, we'd show everyone else how. Why we thought our society of Alcoholics Anonymous might prove to be the spearhead of a new spiritual advance. We might transform the world. Yes, we of AA did dream those dreams. Now, before I say the next line, I want to say that they, they made this happen. I mean, this is this is like this is what they did. They got Marty Mann. Well, they didn't get her, but Marty Mann decided that this was going to be her thing, and she created the you know first uh, NIAAA or whatever it's called, the National Council on Alcoholism or whatever it was back then. And she went to all the big companies and promoted AA as being you know that's disease, and you know you're, you're not a freak if you drink too much, and you're not a bad guy. So um, you know they got a lot of uh, people with money and anyway on and on a lot of you guys know that story but <clears throat> what it says next is to me what's the problem what I really see the problem with AA is how natural that was since most alcoholics are bankrupt idealists bankrupt idealists wow that's at the core that's what you want to live your life by that you are broken, that you are like men who have lost their legs. They will never grow new ones, that you are a bankrupt. Wow, what a, what a, what a thing to build on. What a way to get your life back together. What a way to you know, start to feel good about yourself. I don't think so. I don't think that's helpful. Um, nearly every one of us had wished to do great good, perform great deeds, and embody great ideals. We are all perfectionists who failing perfection have gone to the other extreme and settled for the bottle and the blackout. Okay, everybody, I'm sorry, everybody who drank too much and who drugged too much is not a perfectionist. Okay, that whole thing of, oh, you know, I'm late. Oh, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I, I remember hearing that when I came to Los Angeles, and I was like, what? What did you just say? Well, you know how we are. And I was like, no, I don't know how we are. What does that mean? You know, like guys, like, you know, oh, yeah, we're that way. You know, I was actually getting my hair done a couple months ago by somebody who was in the program. And I said, what are you talking No, I don't know what you mean. I'm not the, no, I'm not that way. Like that lumping together, you know. You know, we're just all, uh, please, anyway. So um, I'm going to go on here. These adventures implanted a deep-rooted conviction that in no circumstances we could endorse, we would, could we endorse any related enterprise, no matter how good? We of Alcoholics Anonymous could not be all things to all men, or should we try? Years ago, this principle of no endorsement was put to a vital test. And they go on to whatever vital tests they do. And we know today that this is not true. That that's like, you know, if you go to NI, National Institute of Drug and Alcohol Dependency, I forget <laughs> What the, what the initials are? Does anybody in the chat world know what those are? I don't care what they are. Um, but um, let's go on to tradition seven. We have ten minutes left. I don't know if I'm going to get to the twelve, but all right, here we go. Um, every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. All right. Now there is one good thing that you can only donate a certain amount of money to Alcoholics Anonymous, and otherwise. You know, that person would be running it. That actually was a really good principle. I think it's $500 a year or something. Maybe they raised it. But um, you can't give them, you know, when you die, leave them a million dollars or $250,000. There's a limit. So let's talk about this. So 
half of the money that comes in, once again, back to thinking, thinking, go to the never-ending thread, follow it down, and go to, anyway, you will see that half of the money, the $12 million that comes in the coffers in New York, the other $6 million comes from books that are sold to whether it's Hazleton or a treatment center or rehab or Betty Ford or the prison system, right, um, comes from the sale of those books to non-AA members who are maybe not really into it or reading it. So if you have, if you have a book that you like, you want to really, every, everybody out there can make a difference. If you have Hank Hayes' book, You've Been Lied To, The Untold Truth About Mainstream Alcohol and Addiction Treatment Programs and the Secrets on How to Eliminate the Problem for Good, or if you have the Albert Ellis book, The Rational Steps to Quitting Drinking When AA Doesn't Work for You, or do you have Amy Lee Coy's book, um, or do you have Drink Link Moderation, so, or do you have Tom Horvath's book about chocolate, sex, and um, you know the list goes on, give it to somebody. Buy an extra book. Give it to your doctor. Give it to your dentist. Give it to your lawyer. Give it to your neighbor. You talk to people that are your friends. Say, you know, do you know anybody with a... I mean, I, I had a new bookkeeper, you know, and she's like, oh, what are you working on? And I told her, and she goes, and I said, well, do you know anybody with a problem? And she's like, oh, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you see, everybody knows... And I said, here's my card. Here's this little card that says, is 12-step not working for you? Ready for empowered, not powerless modality, no religious dogma. Many alternatives are available today. What are they? They are smart recovery, practical recovery, which is a rehab... Rational recovery, which cannot, be, you know, I find that, you know, anyway, with rational, there. I've gotten some letters recently where he really helped him, and I know for others, uh, I think it's women that just doesn't work his approach. You know, it's a little too heavy-handed. But for some of the guys, they like that, you know. Um, but women for sobriety, secular for sobriety. I'm going to have him on. I'm going to have um, the leader. I called him up and had a talk with him, and his program is actually growing. Beyond Rehab, which is Amy Lee Coy, Ham's Harm Reduction, Kenneth Anderson, and On Track Beyond. And, of course, uh, if you need to blog, you can go to Orange Papers as a forum, and you can blog on leavingaa.com. But I think that, um, you know, every little bit, this is the way AA did it. You know, anyone who's finds unhappiness and you find now another solution, talk about it, tell people about it, and... Spread the word, like I called the health teachers at my son's high school. I want to go in and talk to them because I heard they're sending freshmen as part of their little project to go to an AA meeting. I'm like, why are you sending a freshman? How about you come with me to the Marina Center? Let me show you what that meeting looks like. I wouldn't send my enemy to that meeting. You know? Um, let's see. Uh, someone else is... Um, Anyway, so we're going to go on and see if I can get through these 12. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. So um talks about not mixing money, and, you know, these guys wound up paying themselves. I was shocked at how much money they um, were paying themselves in New York and 300000 and I think some of them got into the 400000 in their salaries. But it's not chump change, and um, so... I think that that's why when they start talking about, you know, sending the money and, you know, to New York, that the members are like, what? Like, you know, why do you need more money? And then they say, well, we need to be self-supporting. And, you know, they're talking about, uh, oh, you know, here's the other thing I want to talk about with promoting of other books, including Hanks and Amy's and, and even the Drink Link Moderation, who I had on, um, I had on a couple of weeks ago, that, you know, even if you were to, you know, pick up the phone and, I don't know, you want to call your local prison and your local police station and your, you know, <laughs> I mean, your local whoever, and say, you know, there's this new guy who's got this book and this gal, you know, uh, maybe that would work better for your guys in prison if the 12-step isn't working. <laughs> anyway, Tradition 8, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional but our service centers may employ special workers. Alcoholics Anonymous will never have a professional class. We have gained some understanding of the ancient words, freely ye have received and freely give. We have discovered that at this point of professionalism, money and spirituality did not mix. You know what? It's not true. It's just not true anymore. Like, you know, they're, they get paid so much money in New York to to do those jobs. Now, what I do see are people in the program who give and give and give, and those would be delegates and people who are 
district committee members and area chair people and GSRs, it's a lot of work and it's very thankless. And it, unfortunately, they really are talking about very often the stuff that, you know, there's a sense that you know, they're not going to change anything, but um, that it is very professional. There are people who get paid to be sober, like um, like babysitters, where you can pay, get paid a lot of money, at least as I know this is out of L.A., um, to, you know, be a babysitter for somebody who's rich and hang around with them and, you know, go to meetings and then, you know, you got to stay with them. Um, so this part of it, um, and then, of course, the whole connection with the high-end rehabs, like whether it's Hazleton or some of the other ones that some of the other bloggers, the ones that Ryan told me about, the ones that are up in Connecticut, there's some up in, I think, up in the Poconos, um, that it's all like, oh, it's like the best 12-step one, you know, oh, my God, you know, it's really great, and oh, my God, i got four minutes left. Um, I don't know how I'm going to finish out here. Um, anybody want to call in for a last bit? you got four minutes, 818-475-9211. I'm going to go on to see if we can finish out Tradition 9, A, as such, or never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. We have to talk about this. This is one is just not true. Okay, um, Alcoholics Anonymous needs the least possible organization. Um, not true, not true. It is highly organized, highly, highly organized. That place is so freaking organized. I mean, I tell you, there's no clutter in that office in New York on Riverside Drive. I've been there, and it's very, very organized. Neither its General Service Conference, its Foundation Board, nor the Humblest Group Committee can issue a single directive to an AA member and make it stick, let alone meet out any punishment. Well, if I were a predator... And I wanted to just keep doing what I was doing. I am page 177 in Tradition 9. This is the hammer that they are using to beat over the head of a victim or AA members who say, what's this going on? What's this going on, this crap with this 13-stepping, with this uh, sexual assault that I mean, Carolyn was dealing with? Um, it is, let me read it again. It says, neither its General Service Conference, its Foundation Board, nor the humblest group committee can issue. Of course you can. So first of all, let's let it inform them that as a board, that they have a responsibility by the law. I don't, this, this is a book. It's a book that, you know, uh, like any other book, it doesn't look to me like it's the Constitution of the United States. It doesn't look like it's an amendment. It doesn't look like it's the Bill of Rights. It doesn't look like it's a law that was passed in Sacramento. It doesn't, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's just, it's a page. It's a line. It's a statement. What is a tradition? A tradition is that I'm going to have milk and cookies on Friday, and, you know, on Christmas Eve, and I'm going to bake those cookies with my son, and we're going to put out hot cocoa and put some whipped cream on it. But, you know, is that a law? It's not a law. It's a tradition. You know, it's a tradition that I'm going to want to go to Hawaii every summer, but, you know, is that a law? No, it's not a law. Um... We've tried it lots of times, but utter failure is always the result. Hmm, really, utter failure when they're trying to organize. It's kind of interesting. Um, groups have tried to expel members, but the banished have come back to sit in the meeting, same place, saying, this is a life for us. You can't keep us out. Committees have instructed many an AA to stop working on a chronic backslider, only to be told how I... Um, so I want to have 90 seconds left. You might think that a headquarters in New York could be an exception. Um, surely the people would have authority. Um, but long ago, the trustees and staff members alike found that they could do no more than make a suggestion. And, well, how about that then? Make a suggestion. Write a letter to every GSR, every secretary, um, every delegate. And never mind just the delegates, because I heard that they told the delegates to go back and discuss it. But... Um, um, of 60 seconds, I want to thank everybody. I want to urge you to um, maybe I'll have to I'll finish this up next week. To take, you know, really, I'm not kidding. You know, if you want these pamphlets that I have, ask me and I'll send you them for free. If you have a book, give it to somebody. I'm not kidding. Kidding. Call the, call your local, you know, prison, your local police chief. Talk to them. Um, there's bloggers that have letters. I have letters that you can send to them, but there's nothing like picking up the phone, calling your local newspaper, picking up the phone, calling your local reporter, uh, and saying what's going on, what is your experience, what was done to you, and that why isn't somebody telling this story 
I want to thank you all and remember um, that empowerment, not powerless, is my slogan. And I will see you all next week. I'm going to have Billy West who's going to be back on next month with me to talk about um, uh, medication. And um, so there. Thank you so much. And good night, everybody. <laughs>